Welcome to the New Faces of Democracy podcast, the show featuring ordinary people doing extraordinary things to stand up for our democracy. I'm your host, Nancy Bynum. This podcast celebrates people who have transformed their lives since 2016 and are transforming our political landscape by organizing, running for office, and generally stepping outside of their comfort zones. I hope their stories will inspire you to take action on your own. Head on over to newfacesofdemocracy.org for easy links to subscribe, follow on social media, and to get more inspiration. On this episode, I'm speaking with Desiree Timms, a young congressional candidate in Ohio's 10th district. There are a lot of firsts when it comes to Desiree. This is her first time running for office. She's the first member of her family to graduate from a four-year college. And if elected, she would be the first African-American and the first woman to represent this district. Desiree talks about how she will address pressing issues in the district like income inequality and gun violence, why she entered politics, and her advice for women thinking of running for office. They say that as goes Ohio's 10th, so goes Ohio, and as goes Ohio, so goes the nation. So this race matters to all of us, wherever we live. Between Desiree's vision for change and her infectious laugh, this episode will surely make you smile and leave you hopeful about our future. And now, here's Desiree Timms. Desiree Timms, welcome to New Faces of Democracy. Thank you so much, Nancy. I'm so excited to be here. So let's jump right in and talk about your race. Where and why are you running for Congress? I'm running for Congress in Ohio's 10th district, which is the Dayton area. So it includes the city of Dayton and the surrounding suburbs. It's about 94% urban suburban. And we are thrilled to be one of the DCCC's red to blue races this year. And we have an exciting opportunity to flip my congressional seat blue. I'm running for Congress because it's time for change. Our community has been through so much and we've had the same guy (laughs) in Congress for decades and has been in elected office for nearly a quarter century. And we haven't seen a quarter century's worth of progress. We haven't seen job opportunities. We haven't seen the gap in income equality close. It's widened and opportunity is no longer readily available to our children. So we have to make sure that we have people who are at the table representing our voices, who actually can hear our voices, who actually knows what we need and what we want, who's a strong advocate and not someone who's there to keep the seat warm. And when did you first know you wanted to run for office? Is this something you're like your whole life? You were like, I want to be in Congress. Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the first in my family to go to four-year college. I'm the granddaughter of sharecroppers. I frankly got to college and realized just how ill-prepared I was because my public school that I attended, and I'm a proud product of Dayton Public Schools, but when we think about investment and resources into public schools around the country, including rural areas, what we're seeing is that there is a disparity when it comes to resources because of the property taxes tied to zip codes that funds our school districts. In 10th grade, I had the same history textbook as my teacher's daughter, who was in the fifth grade on the other side of the proverbial tracks. That was a devastating blow to my ego because I was relatively a straight A student and academics was something I enjoyed, but I didn't necessarily struggle until I reached college and just realized how far behind I was prepared. In that moment, I wanted to 
fix the system. I didn't know what that would look like. I didn't know how. Congress certainly didn't even cross my mind. And then Barack Obama came along talking about hope and change. And I knocked doors for him and was really inspired by that message. And even then, I just wanted to work, to get the work done. I wanted to support someone who's doing the right things. But never could I have imagined that a decade later, I'd be the Democratic nominee here in Ohio 10. So is education a big part of your mission? It's a part of my mission, but I think that goes to inequality. And that is a part of my mission is wanting to make sure that no matter what you look like, no matter where you live, no matter who you love, that you too have access to the American dream. If you work hard, you too can achieve and reach the same opportunities as those who are working hard in different zip codes in different areas. So what I am running for Congress and what I plan to do, as you know, the Constitution grants the Congress the power of the purse strings is to make sure that federal investment is made in communities like Dayton and Xenia and Fairborn and Trotwood and that we are not getting the short end of the stick. And that's what's happening across America, especially in the Midwest. We are struggling for economic opportunities and to compete with some of the larger cities on the coast. We have to make sure that we're not forgetting about the people in the Midwest and in middle America. Some people think it's just farms and cornfields (laughs) and dirt roads, but we have a lot of cities and diversity and world-class universities and colleges, and we have to make sure that we're continuing to invest in those people. And what kind of federal investment are you talking about specifically? Like what would make the difference in your communities? Infrastructure. We know that we need to rebuild our country. We are a community of former and current steel workers and factory workers. We built the automobiles. In Dayton, the airplane was invented. We invented the cash register. We know that we can do a lot when we sort of put our minds to it. We have more than five colleges and universities in my district. We're one of the top five labor markets in the country for the most science and engineering grads. If we're going to rebuild our country, we're going to rebuild it in a green way, using green materials to make sure that we're also addressing climate change, to make sure that we're creating something that is sustainable for the future. Why not invest it and create those opportunities in a city that has engineering grads, science grads, a talented labor force that's frankly underpaid and underworked right now. People who are working for General Motors making upwards of $25, $30 an hour in the 90s and are now making $12 and are told to be happy with it. These are the people who we can lean on, who have the skills to get the job done. And we can rebuild our country and we can rebuild our community and we can provide economic opportunity and prosperity to these families once again. We can rebuild our cities and rebuild our country from the inside out. So that is something that I am very passionate about and something that I want to work on. And then my community also experienced a mass shooting. Gun violence is another. We have to make sure we're getting the military-style assault weapons off of the streets. They should not be in our backyards. They belong on battlefields. And we have to do something about it. So your district is 94% urban and suburban, 6% rural. Is that the other six? What's the demographic in terms of Republicans to Democrats? You said a lot of people worked in the steel industry. What are they doing now? Is there a sort of a snapshot you can paint of the district for me? The district is around 77% white, 
close to 20% Black and a few other minorities and mixed communities, mixed racial groups that make up the district. The DPI is about 48%. So we have an amazing opportunity to turn out Democrats. So we have to make sure that we're bringing independents and Republicans as well. It's an R plus four district. So Republican by four points. That means that we have an opportunity to get some of those Republicans who are supporting Donald Trump, who have suddenly had a change of heart to look in our direction. And that's what happened during the primary. During our primary, Democratic turnout was 132% above registration. That means that not only Democrats pull ballots, but Republicans pull ballots, independents pull ballots to vote for me in the primary. And if we can get that same kind of turnout in a vote by mail general election, then we're going to be in really good shape because we know that when people have the opportunity and the time to do their research and to look into the policies of people who are running for office, they tend to vote for someone who's going to work on behalf of them and not behalf of themselves. So that's sort of the snapshot of the district. We are really excited to have the opportunity to embark on change in history. I have five colleges and universities in my district. Two are historically Black colleges and universities. We saw African-American voter turnout in this district drop. In 2012, African-American voter turnout was at 74%. In 2018, it dropped to 43%. That's right, a 30% drop off. We have to make sure that Black voters are able to vote, that we're not suppressing their voices and preventing them from voting, but to make sure that they can vote and will vote because we know that they want to. So making sure that the voter turnout is at its highest, we can at least get it back to 2012. We're going to have a really good shot at flipping the seat. We are already within striking distance with fundraising for my Republican opponent. I outraised my opponent by more than $300,000 last quarter. So we just need to continue to kick butt. (laughs) So in terms of getting out the vote, let's talk about that. I know you did this really cool video with your cousin, rap artist. Do you want to tell me a little bit about that? On the campaign trail, early on, when I told people, I'm running for Congress, this is what I'm doing. Some people were saying, okay, what's that? Are you going to City Hall? Are you going to Columbus? No, I'm going to Washington, D.C. Oh, okay. So you'll be a senator. And I'm like, no. (laughs) And so the voter education and sort of like need to break down civics was clear. And I thought, okay, there has to be a better way to do this. And what better way to do it than to create a song that's like school of rock, but hip hop. Because again, more than five colleges and universities in my district, 30% drop in African-American voter turnout. We have an opportunity to educate these people and these groups, young people and older people, and just misinformed or uninformed people alike in three minutes over a jingle. That sounds like the best opportunity ever. And so my cousin, Yellow Pain, makes conscious rap music. And I thought, will you be the perfect person to make this song for me? And he was like, oh, I don't know. I don't know if that's a good idea. And I was like, no, it's a great idea. Let me tell you about my vision and what I think you can do with this. And I know that you can do it. And then he said, well, I don't really know anything about voting either. And I thought, okay, well, you can't rap about it if you don't know about it. And so I spent months educating him until he could like say it back to me backwards about the legislative branch and the judicial branch and understanding who's on the ballot, why it matters, what we need to talk about when 
people say, well, my life didn't change under Obama. I showed up in 2008. And it's like, yeah, but in 2010, where were you? Because this is what happened. And this is why we weren't able to make that progress. And so explaining it to people in a song, it's game changing. And people listen to it. They like it. They receive the message much differently from Yellow Pain than from Desiree Thames or any other person in politics. And so once he learned everything and executed the message, we nailed it. We have received millions and millions and millions of views. People have downloaded it and re-uploaded it. They're also, we have lost track. Last time I checked, when we found like 10 of the videos together, it was like 60 million views. People are really listening to it and it's great. So I'm excited about that. I wanted to release the song to educate people about voting and why voting does matter and why your vote does in fact count. So that was the goal. And I think people learned. Young people, new voters, high school students who will be 18 by November 3rd, they now have an understanding as to, look, it's not just about the presidency and the governors and the mayors. It's about judges. It's about members of Congress and your state reps and your lawmakers and your delegates and your city council and your county council members. And so we have to make sure we're talking about the whole system as opposed to just like the guy you see on TV or the woman you see on TV every night. I mean, that's a huge public service you've done because it's not just about your race. (laughs) Although you do have a nice little promo at the end. A little. (laughs) (laughs) But it's really, I mean, hopefully it's going to impact tons of races this year. It's very exciting. And I highly encourage people to watch it. It's really entertaining and fun too. (laughs) Yeah, thank you. Okay. And you did talk about how this is an R plus four district. So it's a tough race for any Democrat. Trump won it by like seven points. Is that right? That's right. In 2016, Trump won it by seven points. But in 2018, Sherrod Brown won it by six points. Our Democratic Supreme Court justice won 60% of the district in 2018. Justice Melody Stewart, Ohio's first African-American woman Supreme Court justice, she won 49.5% of the district. So Democrats have won here. Democrats are winning. We have a few Dems elected countywide here in Montgomery County. So this is about turnout. And I know people who voted for Trump and I know Democrats who voted for Trump in this district. And it was because in 16, he's talking about bringing back some of these good factory jobs that we all still desire to have here because we saw what it did for our economy. I'm not that old. And I remember what the community used to look like when it had more tax revenue, when it had more economic opportunity. I remember what that looks like. And I'm just 32. So I can only imagine if you're 50, 52 what that means for you. And unfortunately, Trump failed and he let people down. And they remember that. And in 2018, they voted a different way. In 2018, Democrats voted for Democrats. And we're seeing that now in 2020, people are paying attention more and more about, look, these people have promised us X, Y, and Z, and we still haven't received anything. They still haven't delivered. So the district is purple. Sherry Brown did very well here. Democrats up and down the ballot have done well here. We just have to make sure that we're running good candidates, strong candidates, candidates who are able to connect with people. And I believe that I'm that candidate. I'm the candidate who can meet this moment. And that's why we're very confident that we're going to win. That's why Emily's list jumped in. That's why the DCCC jumped in. Cher Brown, 
Madam Vice President Kamala Harris, <laughs> speaking it into existence, endorsed and jumped in. Cory Booker, Planned Parenthood, LCD. We are receiving support from everyone. And Barack Obama endorsed and he did well here. And we're just really excited. People are excited and ready for change. And I think that's the story is that people are ready for change. So what are some issues in your district that people have in common, despite which side of the political spectrum they're on? Gun control, ensuring that we can get rid of military style side weapons, get them off our street, making sure that universal background checks is something that we pass into law. 90% of Americans agree and support universal background checks, a violent history check to make sure before we put this gun in your hands that you're going to do the right thing. You're going to store it right. You're going to make sure that people in your household and around you are safe. 90%. My opponent still doesn't support universal background checks, even after a mass shooting that occurred here. So when I talk to Democrats, when I talk to Republicans, when I talk to independents, everyone says, yeah, we have to do something about the gun violence. Again, I am in my 30s. I never had active shooter drills in school. And when you talk to kids today, teenagers and elementary students, they all know what an active shooter drill is. Every single one of them. Why are we training our kids to prepare for mass shootings? That's what we're training them for. Yeah, it's heartbreaking. When I was in school, we trained for like a tornado in a fire, stop, drop and roll. That's what we were like, okay, in case this happens. And now we're telling kids like, in case someone comes and tries to shoot you, that is very un-American. And no matter who I talk to, no matter what side of the political spectrum, they all agree. So gun control, obviously a huge issue facing all of us. You're young, you're 32. What issue, in your opinion, is the biggest one your generation is facing? I would say the biggest one is income inequality. I, along with many people in my generation, have a ton of student loan debt. I went to undergrad, master's degree, law school, the full gamut. and <laughs> It shows, <laughs> you know, what I'm paying. But that was the deal. You work hard, you get ahead, and you have people in my generation who said they want to buy a house, but they can't buy a home, even though they have maybe good credit and decent income, but student loan debt. We want to make sure that people can get into the thing called the American dream. Make sure that you can buy a home and own a car and send your kids to school. That is something that is very high priority on folks in my generation's list is making sure that we have an opportunity to earn enough money to live and to survive and to pay our bills. But we're seeing wages remain stagnant. What $40,000 a year used to get you does not do the same today. Minimum wage has not changed in a decade. It's been the same. And the cost of living continues to go up. Most people can't afford a one-bedroom apartment with one paycheck was taking two paychecks. And we are seeing income inequality widen. We're seeing the 1% get richer and richer and pay no taxes. While the middle class, upper middle class, working class, we're paying taxes. The money is coming out of our paychecks. And then we're not seeing the investment made in our communities. Our roads are crumbling. Our bridges are unstable. Our air quality is poor. Our water systems are broken. We need regular maintenance because our infrastructure here is at its worst. 
we are at a moment in history where people in my generation are saying, let's rebuild America, let's build it back better, and let's build it for our children. The whole thing is that you leave this place better than when you got here. And that's what we're trying to do. We have to make sure that we're fighting to work to build this country in a way that works for the next generation. It's not about making it perfect, but it's about building on the progress that has been made. There's this old political saying, as goes Ohio, so goes the nation. I'm sure everybody in Ohio says that all the time. How would you complete, as goes Ohio's 10th, so goes what? I mean, in other words, in what ways might your race be seen as a bellwether race in the state? That's right. As goes Ohio's 10th, goes Ohio. And as goes Ohio, goes the nation. So that is why Ohio's 10th district is so important this year. Montgomery County, which is in my district, is one of Ohio's largest swing counties in Pivot County. It went for Obama twice and then for Trump by less than a point. We know that by turning out voters in Montgomery County, we can help swing the way Ohio goes. And that is the city of Dayton and the surrounding suburbs, Montgomery County. We have to make sure that people are voting and can vote, but that we invest in them. We know that every year around election time, there are billboards that says if you make a typo or you sign the wrong name or you spell your name wrong or mess up on the writing or whatever. It's like all these false voter intimidation tactics. And it has like felony jail time and fine up to $10,000. I mean, the signs are nuts. And I see them every year and people go, well, I don't want to risk making a mistake, so I'm not going to vote. So what are you doing to counter that? We are making sure that we're calling voters now and educating them on the process. We're making sure people know, hey, you can request your absentee ballot by mail and send it back. Use two stamps when you get your ballot, making sure you know how to track your ballot, letting people know, hey, did you request it? This is the deadline and explaining and busting myths about voting, voting from home. It is a shame right now that we're seeing post boxes being ripped out of our streets and loaded on the trucks so that people have less access, that much more of a burden and a hurdle to jump over in order to cast a ballot. And so these voter intimidation tactics are widespread and frankly, blatant. They're right in front of us. We're seeing it every day. So we're going to have to really work hard to make sure that people feel comfortable voting, that people feel safe voting during a pandemic, but that people know that they can, in Ohio, request an absentee ballot and vote by mail and stay home. So we are trying to educate as many people as we can through social media and phone banking and text messaging programs. So let's talk a little bit about you. You're relatively young to be running for Congress, not by too young by any stretch, but you've already had a lot of experience in politics, I know, from reading about you. Tell me a little bit about that. I got my start in politics knocking doors for Obama, and then upon graduation, landed a White House internship and ended up spending at least a decade in Washington, D.C., working in the Obama White House. I later worked on Capitol Hill in the Senate for Sherrod Brown and Senator Kirsten Gillibrand. I was elected president of the Senate Black Legislative Staff Caucus, where we advocated for more diversity at the table. Frankly, the halls of Congress and the staff, they have a lot of power editing policy and legislation. So we have to make sure that the people at that table match the districts and match the reflection and makeup of our country. So I spent a lot of time advocating for that, partnering with the Tri-Caucus 
on Capitol Hill. I also worked for two nonprofits, League of Conservation Voters and Child Care Aware of America, where I worked on environmental justice issues and affordable child care and universal preschool. All the while torturing myself by going to law school at night. <laughs> I graduated from Georgetown Law. I went to law school for four years at night in order to complete the degree. I couldn't afford to just quit my job and go to law school. So I had to work my way through school. And I got it done and I finished. I thought that I was coming home to work at a law firm. And I moved back home and started studying for the bar. And that weekend, the KKK marched downtown Dayton. Three days later, we had more than 15 tornadoes that ripped through our community. And a few months after that, we had the mass shooting. And so I thought about running, but it certainly propelled me to move a little faster when I saw that happen. And I saw my opponent just, frankly, he was negligent and advocated his duties to lead in that moment, voting against disaster relief funding days before tornadoes ripped through our community. And grandmas can't rebuild their home, widows who that was what their husbands left and what they had to live on and surviving. You just hear horror stories about they can't afford $20,000 to put the roof back on their home and the windows back together. They don't qualify for the loan. They're on social security and fixed income. And so these are the stories of the people here in my district who need help. And unfortunately, we're paying taxes and our tax dollars aren't working for us. And what challenges have there been along the way in this race? Money. I did not appreciate how expensive campaigns are to run. I mean, I've certainly heard stories. I volunteered on campaigns, but this was just very different. (laughs) Asking people for money because I'm used to just figuring it out on my own and working my way through it. And I really had to ask for help a lot from people to chip in. I don't come from a wealthy background, so it wasn't an opportunity that I could take advantage of in terms of getting on the phone and calling a few family members and saying, can't each of you guys bundle $50,000? That's not my reality. And so fundraising has been, it was a challenge in the beginning and just learning the process. We have certainly picked it up and worked our way through it and we're leading in fundraising. We have outstanding numbers, people all around the country all around Ohio and all around Ohio's 10th district have chipped in $5, $10, you name it. But our average contribution was just under 50 bucks last quarter. And we outraised my opponent by more than $300,000. So grassroots people power campaigns work. And you'd be surprised what just $1 can do for a campaign. So that it was a challenge is something that we wanted to sort of beat and win and take advantage of. And use the power of people to make the case as to why it's time for change. And so really proud of the journey because it has been a journey. I've been running now for one year and it didn't just happen in three months or six months. It's been a journey, a beautiful journey, I'll say. And where do you see yourself in 10 years? I hope that I can look back and see that I've made change. Do you think you'll continue? Do you see your future in politics? Right now, no, I just want to make a difference in my community. Again, this wasn't on my vision board (laughs) for my career path. In undergraduate, I certainly went to law school to go practice law and be a lawyer, but I just felt a calling to run and help support my community and serve. So I plan to serve and do my time to help. And I just want to look back and see that 
we did a good job and we worked hard and we restored opportunity and people have access to grocery stores and high quality education and people aren't suffering because they get sick. They aren't going into bankruptcy because of a diagnosis or a bad car accident. So I just want to look back and see that we did make some change, that change did happen, that people were able to get ahead um, because of something I came up with or an idea I made that turned into law. And my community was with me and I am not doing this alone. I think some people are like, oh, this is so great. You're doing so well. And I'm like, there's a village around me and they support me. They open their homes up to me early on the campaign. It's COVID now, so not so much. (laughs) But to see the community come together to support my candidacy is very meaningful. I'm the first African-American Democratic nominee to represent the district. I'll be the first African-American elected to Congress from Southwest Ohio. And that is not a small feat. And it's not something that I did alone. It's something that I did with my community. And so if I can look back and stand with my community and say, look what we did, then I'll feel good and I'll be happy with that. So you would also be the first woman in this seat, correct? That's right. So do you have any advice for women, and particularly women of color, who are thinking about running for office? Run. (laughs) (laughs) I tell women all the time to run for office. We have to be asked multiple times. The studies are out there. You have to ask a woman, I think it's what, nine times before she'll say yes versus asking a man once or twice. And for women, young women, women of color, women in general, we are very diligent beings, meaning we want to make sure we check every single box and so that we can feel prepared and confident and ready to do it. And if you have it in your heart, to serve your community. And if your community wants you to serve, then it's your turn. Then you are ready to do it. You don't need to check any more boxes because those are the only two boxes that matter. And so I try to tell women that because whether it's applying for that job, getting that promotion, am I qualified? Do I have enough experience? Maybe I should wait to, no, just apply. They have an opening for it. It looks like you would be a good fit. You want to make that job. You want that job. You know that you would be a good fit. Apply for it. And that goes for everything in life. That's it. And we need more women at the table. We sure do. And that's great advice. I mean, that actually applies to pretty much every woman I know. What's been the most rewarding aspect of this experience for you? The most rewarding aspect has been the support from the community, from strangers, from people I've never met. It is a very overwhelming feeling. And I know someone, so we were filming our commercials recently and the woman opened her home up and maybe I met her once or twice, but she opened her home up. We spent a lot of time talking and I just was like, thank you so much. And she says, we're all rooting for you. This is the least I can do. And so meeting people like that on the trail who are willing to bring donuts (laughs) to the office, For the interns who are working for free, but because they believe in the movement, that is something that is just very beautiful and extremely rewarding because, again, it's the opportunity to see the village that is supporting you. So I thought it would be fun to do a little lightning round, help people get to know you better. So you ready? Let's go for it. Okay. If you weren't in politics, what would be your dream job? 
Ooh, interior design. I watch HGTV, like whenever I can stop watching CNN and MSNBC, the next channel is HGTV. And yes, if I could do anything outside of this, I would love to be an interior designer. Yeah, I pretty much stopped watching CNN and MSNBC. So now I only watch HGTV. HGTV, Home Goods. That's my jam. (laughs) What's your favorite movie? Because of this moment, I am going to say Selma. What's something that people often get wrong about you? Sometimes people see me as, because I am a Black woman, because I am young, they automatically put me in the far left corner of the party. And they don't listen to what's coming out of my mouth. And I have progressive ideas and policies, but a different approach. But sometimes they get that wrong or they misinterpret what I'm saying. And so that's something that, because we haven't seen the diversity of women and women of color, we're not a monolith, but sometimes we do get dumped and lumped into one sort of category. What's your favorite Sunday activity? My favorite Sunday activity would be, let's see, it used to be going to church. (laughs) But that's out. I would say bike riding. I have a bike and I like going to some of the parks and the trails here in in the area and just taking in the scenery and listening to the birds chirp and praying before the snow comes. (laughs) But taking it all in, I just, I love being outdoors. And whenever I have the opportunity to do that, whether it's biking or hiking, that's pretty much what I do on Sundays. Who will play you in the movie about your life? Let's just say Carrie Washington, because we all love Carrie. (laughs) (laughs) What's the best advice you've ever received? The best advice I've ever received came from a guy when I was in the White House, in the Obama White House. And he said, try as many jobs as you possibly can in your 20s. Figure it out. Every year, you should try something new or get a promotion. And when you don't, start looking for something else. And once you turn 30, you should, if you have enough various experiences, have an idea of sort of where you want to go. You'll know what you like and what you don't like, but try everything. And I think I did that. I worked all over Capitol Hill and learned different policy issues. I didn't just work on one issue. I worked on agriculture and women and girls and African-American outreach, civil rights and judiciary issues. And it was a very rich experience. And it's not something that you can get from reading a book or watching a movie. You just have to experience it. Yeah, that's great advice. Okay, last question. Fill in the blank. Winning for Ohio's 10th district means blank. It means change. Okay, well, this has been fantastic. If people want to help you out, what can they do? Obviously, they can donate. Donate. Visit timsforcongress.com and chip in. You can also follow me on social media. My Twitter is at Tim's Desiree. My Instagram is Desiree Tim's. Sharing the posts that we put out into the social media universe (laughs) helps more people learn more about my candidacy in this race. And you're exposing and sharing my story to one more voter, to one more person who wants to know about what's happening in our country and in politics and who's running for office and how they can help. And we share a lot of information. So during COVID, we are definitely running a virtual campaign. And so the more support we can get virtually will make our campaign that much stronger. 
Okay. Well, Desiree Timms, it has been a pleasure speaking with you today. You can count me among the many people who say they're rooting for you. I'm so excited to see where you go from here to Congress and beyond. So thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening. New Faces of Democracy is created and produced by me, Nancy Bynum. And in addition to being the host, I'm also the CEO, the CFO, and the administrative assistant. If you enjoyed this episode, please help New Faces of Democracy grow by subscribing on whatever app you use to listen to podcasts. You can also leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you're looking for more inspiration, check out my other profiles at newfacesofdemocracy.org and follow New Faces of Democracy on Instagram and Facebook. 